Life's a Mitch. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Life's a Mitch. I apologise for taking so long. I've had a fair bit happening going on in the last few months. Uh, unfortunately, I lost a friend to suicide and and most recently in the last two weeks I've lost my nan. So uh, things have been a little bit, little bit hard for me lately and I just sort of took a step back from doing all this stuff and just trying to get my head back into a better headspace, obviously, and just moving forward. But today, um, my next guest and I have actually been chatting for a while, so I must apologise to him for taking so long. I appreciate you coming on, sir. And my next guest is quite talented. He's done a fair bit in, in regards to his creativity and in regards to creating great content. He is, including but not limited to, a voice actor. He is a content creator. He is an all-around good guy. And most recently, as of today, he's releasing a book. He's an author and he's an all-around legend. And it's the first time I'm speaking to another Mitch. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Mr. Mitch Mormon. How are you today, sir? How are you? Buddy, that is the absolute best intro I think anyone has ever given anyone in the history of people <laughs> from only one the, Mitch to another. Only the best for the Mitches. <laughs> I, um, yes, sir. Well, being from the Brotherhood of Mitches, I can assure you, this is 100% top quality entertainment. <laughs> I love it. So whereabouts in the world do we find you today, Mitch? Where, whereabouts are you coming to us live from? If you were to look at a map of the United States of America, America, if you were to look at that map, you look at uh, Virginia, North Carolina, and Tennessee, where they all come together in a mythical place known as Appalachia, home of opioids and meth addicts. Um, that is where i live how good at least you know or we, i live in a place called orange new south wales in australia and it's not far from the ice capital of australia called wellington and its nickname is antarctica so if it's anything like that place you are absolutely not in god's country <laughs> i have to say it but i live i live in the, one of the most beautiful places in the world well that's good I really well, I'll, I'll have to um research some pictures of it later I've never been to the to the US, but it's definitely on the cards to do so. And, uh, yes, sir. I, where I live, I, I wanted to move here. Oh man, um, I think since like 2005, I made my decision. I was like, I want to go live in the mountains. I uh, my marriage broke up in uh, 20, and things were liquidated. House was sold. All that good stuff happened, and I found a fixer upper, and I moved up here, and uh, we go to work. Three-hour drive away, stay there for a few nights, and then come back home and spend a few nights at home and keep going back and forth and did that for a few years, and now I'm living up here full-time, unwinding, and um, and I really, really had to get that book out. Yeah, which and, we'll uh, talk about today for sure, and um, one, I'm very sorry to hear about the marriage, and two, like, I'd imagine it was, you know, COVID-accelerated a lot of things and you know broke a lot of things down and everything else so i would imagine that covid would have been a stressful time would have been putting extra pressure on things like marriages and stuff was it a hectic time for you over there during covid oh oh yeah it, it was but see it was it was like building up and then covid was just added fuel to the fire so it's it's fine it's it's just something that had to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get for me, COVID was the reason this little project of mine started. Like I, I, I've worked in the mines now for a long time and 
I was, it was literally homework, homework, and then you didn't really have a lot else to do. So you'd, while we we're on lockdown, we could, couldn't leave our little, I guess we had, we call them council areas, but your equivalent would be leaving the local county. And so you could okay. go to the shops and get your groceries and that was basically it. So I thought, well, I need to find a productive way to spend my time. I always thought about doing a little project like this, doing a podcast and with all the scrubs things happening and guesting on there, it just sort of went gangbusters. And here it is three years later. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And um, how, yes. how many episodes have you done total? This is, this is 101. Um, I did how the hundred. I did a hundred. I did the hundredth one. And then, yeah, sort of had, a, had intention to start to sort of stop for a month or two. So I might seem a little rusty. I apologize. But um, yeah, with, with my friend and my nan, I thought, yeah, okay, I just need to step back, um, sort of reset a little and get back into it like today. So I do so apologize. Now, We've been talking about this for a long time and I apologize it's taken so long. Don't worry about it. It's, um, you know, life gives us things that we have to process. And um, sometimes we can see things coming and, and we're already prepared for them. Like, you know, a loved one that's really sick and getting ready to die. It's it's a whole lot easier to deal with than, than hearing about a loved one that died in a traffic accident. Right. Yeah. Like the, the, the unexpected, the, yeah, my nan, um, my nan was sort of unexpected. We didn't know that she was really sick. She, um, she, she died of a, of a heart complication and they, my, my sister actually found her on her, on her porch, just laying there in the sun. Um, yeah. So she might've been afraid and alone at, at the time, but yeah. you know, she's, she's out of pain now and, um, you know, sort of, she always believed in the afterlife. So I'm um, hopefully she, she found some sort of eternal peace in the next life. I, yeah, hopefully she got to where how, she had to go. How old was she? Uh, 87. 87. Now yes. listen to this. My grandmother today is a 16th in 10 days. My grandmother turns 100. She's still, she, she say she is turning a hundred. She is turning a hundred. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, she has no idea where the hell she's at, but <laughs> she's turned a hundred. Yeah, cool. She, oh. uh, she's she's got a lot of spirit in her, but um, but yeah, she she can't keep track of where she is anymore. It's the thing about sort of aging, I suppose. Either the brain lets you down, or the body does, and you know, I, I mean, that's an incredible milestone, and I hope you then reaches it. That's awesome, man. Um, but I apologize for being a little rusty. How about we uh we we sort of switch tacks here for a, for a moment, so. This is the common thread amongst all episodes. Uh, I use this as an ice-breaking tool, and Mitch, you know all about it. And uh, I was just wondering, would you like me to change trajectory for a moment and start by having a quick bitchy with Mitchy times two today? I'll be having one with another Mitch too. How good. <laughs> Sounds like it's time for a bitchy with Mitchy. I'll times I, two. I have to uh, Mitch get. Square. I'll have to get a cheeky little musical number for that one as well, but definitely. So before we delve into your, your career and talk about your book and some of your voice work and stuff like that, I use I like to use this little segment just as an icebreaker, as just mentioned, and just sort of it helps put me at ease a little bit and it usually generates a bit of a laugh. So I'll usually let the uh, the guests go first. It's a light it's a chance to have a lighthearted bitch. I was just wondering, would you like to go first or would you like me to sort of just get it out in the air, make yourself feel a little bit better? You know, my friend, I'd like to hear you do it because you're saying a lighthearted bitch, and um, that sounds like a happy dog. So, <laughs> I, um, go, go ahead, my friend. Uh, you lay down the carpet, and I'm going to slide across it when you're done. 
Uh, well, well behaved, Mitch. I like it. Uh, for me, um, I guess uh, this might be a, a broad spectrum one, might not, not just be the shores of Australia, but possibly the US too. There's some medical practitioners that when you try, when you're a, when you have someone that you love going through a medical traumatic experience, I guess you could say, sometimes the transparency of said medical experts isn't there and you're left to wonder like what's going on why am i not kept in the loop etc etc so i guess that my bitch is you know just that like why can't why does why sometimes does it seem to be so difficult to communicate to the loved ones and put them at ease a little more like a um a good friend of mine was struggling and even his wife and his um and his siblings weren't told the full extent as to how bad his injuries actually were and um before you knew it you know, yeah, he unfortunately passed away, and I have another friend now who her brother's just had a ble- a bleed on his brain, and you know they're running tests, but they're not explaining what they're doing, what's going on, so it's just generating extra stress and everything like that. So you know, I don't know each individual each um case is going to be individualized, and everyone's story is going to be different. But from even just the recent experiences that those in my circle have experienced, and myself as well i just want a little bit more like openness and just let us know what's going on so yeah my bitch is some the way some medical practitioners go about things and aren't explaining what's truly going on so yeah is that i know that sounds like a pretty broad sort of one but yeah that that's sort of is what's growing my gears this week mate it just makes an extra struggle where it doesn't have to be i suppose what about you? You said you said the words lighthearted when you got started with that. And then, I mean, you brought in the gloom. And <laughs> you're like, yeah, um, not knowing about people's medical stuff going on. I was like, oh, shit. Um, he went deep. He didn't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to start complaining about the people I have to interact with when I go through the drive through window at the local fast food joint to get my my burger with uh without tomatoes no it's nasty and um and my my good friend mitch kelly is is, <laughs> is uh talking about the the medical field. well i can complain about the medical field my friend i've gone to a a doctor recently oh well let's back up a little bit so in june i was bitten by a radioactive tick and did you i get, you didn't get super powers did you no, I, I got the superpower of shivering while having a fever. And that was uh, due to the Lyme's disease that I mm. contracted. And um, yes, bursitis would be the other superpower that I gained um, <laughs> after that. So, but I went to, I went to the doctor, right? I called them and they were like, well, you, you might have to go to urgent care. I'm like, why the hell do I have a doctor if you want me to go to urgent care? So I, I go to the doctor. They look at it. And when you have this, when you're bitten by this tick, it, it it's a bacterial infection. But there's a telltale sign because it leaves a bullseye, like a red welt with a red welt ring around it. Like it looks like a bullseye, a target when you have that infection. And the doctor looks at it. She says, hold on. She goes out of the office. She goes down the hallway, comes back with two nurses, two young ladies. Now, I'm 51. And these two nurse ladies come back. And they're in their 20s. And I've got my shirt off, raising up, you know, so they can see this bullseye. And I'm sucking it in, you know, trying to make it look all right. So 
that happens in the United States. We have copay when we go to the doctor. We have our insurance, and then we have to pay a little bit when we go there. Okay. Yep. And then they sent me a bill for almost a hundred dollars, like ninety-eight dollars. After that, all she did was look at the bullseye under my arm and then let two nurses look at me so they know what it looks like when somebody comes in with that and wrote me a prescription for some antibiotics and sent me on my way and sent me a bill for $98 after that. I already They already built my health insurance company. Yeah, that's a bit rough. We um, If they're going to be you know, looking at your bare flesh with your shirt off, maybe you should start your own fans and then you can start charging them. <laughs> If I started an OnlyFans, I'd have only one fan. You know, <laughs> I would have only fan. But are you are you doing a bit better now? Like you sort of in the clear with all that sort of stuff now? Yes, sir. I'm. I'm. Um, the only thing that was residual is the bursitis. Do you know what that is? No, not really. To be honest, it is where. Okay, so your joints that where they hold, hold loads, they have this. Uh, this. Uh, piece of cartilage there on top of the bone uh, that kind of holds that load right it's a cushion yep. and when you have the bursitis that, that's the bursa you got it in your shoulders and your hips um what happens is that gets inflamed and now like it felt like somebody was trying to pull my legs off when i had the uh when i had the limes disease uh, bursitis in my hips really bad and it, and it literally felt like my somebody's trying to pull my legs off that sounds painful yeah, it's it's not a it's not a fun time. No, I was glad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my computer was just carrying on like an absolute tool. Then, um, oh, I'm glad to hear that you're in. You know, you're sort of on the mend, and hopefully, this bursitis decides it wants to go away, and Mitch is back to operating at full Mitch capacity. That'd be awesome. Oh yes, sir. <laughs> no. I yeah, I did go on a bit of a dark tangent. You know, I, as I said, like I apologise, but yeah, it's been a bit of a stressful couple of months, so. Maybe this is some sort of vent, so I feel a little bit better. That's the idea of it, having a bitch with Mitch times two. So thank you for you know opening up and sharing a little bit of your story, and which is exactly what we're here to speak about today. We'll talk about you know your new book that's dropping today. So congratulations on the release of it, and we'll talk about you know how that all kicked off and what it's about, and we'll deep dive into it soon. But Usually I like to, when the guests come on, talk about their story, like we'll talk about your time in your career, like the genesis of it, some of the things you've done, some of your voice work, some of your podcasting work and all that sort of thing. But um, before oh, we yeah. do before we do that, a question I like to ask everyone is before we get into their story is, Mitch, take yourself back to as far back as you can remember, as young as you can remember. Do you remember the first thing that you were ever a fan of, whether it be a TV show or a book or what have you? What was the first thing you were ever a fan of? When I was three, they called me Spider-Man and Snoopy because Spider-Man and Snoopy were my two favorite things. What is it and What that, is it about? That, was it just like the animated series or what was it about those two specific bits of IP that did it for you, do you think? We had a show in the United States that was like a television show for children that had a learning um, but they had a Spider-Man part of that show. It was called The Electric Company. And that was, oh man, like 1974, 1975. And they would always have a section of the show where Spider-Man would come out. 
and it was like a little tiny Spider-Man episode in every show. And I love that. And then, uh, you know, Charlie Brown and the Peanuts. Are you familiar with them? Yeah, yeah. I, I was a bit of a Charlie Brown kid myself. So so Snoopy, right, from Charlie Brown. Oh, he was the best. Snoopy, <laughs> man, you didn't mess around with Snoopy. Yeah, those were my two, like, biggest things I fanned on. And uh, I went and saw Star Wars when it came out originally. I was six years old when we went to see Star Wars. Were you just in and... awe of this, like, this new sort of i know it wasn't a new genre but this new story be a time where you're like what what's going on here this is amazing i couldn't read all the words <laughs> when the movie started and all these words start going through space and i'm like i can't read these words i don't understand these words yeah so and then i was like this movie's gonna suck i'm gonna sit there and watch all these words by <laughs> six and uh and when i'm gonna tell you what when darth vader came onto that screen when he was doing that on that screen man i grabbed my mom's arm <laughs> turned my head i did not want anything to do with that guy <laughs> yeah i i'm a huge star wars nerd and i and I, I regularly go back and watch all the movies now all the way through even the prequels and sequels and just you know you hear all the stories of all the original content creators that made that movie and you know to take space travel and make it look ancient like that famous line oh what a piece of junk when luke's speaking to han and you know darth vader like it's no wonder why all these years later that it's still one of the if not the biggest franchise of all time um i love it i love star wars and i could talk to you all day about star wars um yeah i've, I've enjoyed it a lot i think it's um i think star wars went from something that used to be uh special to something that is gone to over overproduced yeah it's everywhere now there's series there's like there's movies outside of the the original like the nine original movie sorry you know the episode one to nine there's side movies like rogue one and solo and etc plus all these shows like mandalorian which i love and i guess you either you're all in or you sort of just dip your toe in a little bit if you're a fan but I'm all in. I love it. The continuity, give it to me. I, that's one reason I do this podcast is because I love storytelling and I love deep diving on the laws of such things. But, and I, yeah, one reason I do this as well is I like to interact with people like yourself who have cool stories. And um, I wanted to ask you as well, like, so that's young Mitch. Young Mitch was a fan of some of the classics. And as you, as you were growing up, you know, did you, did you know that a life of entertainment, a life of content creation was was going to be what defines your career or what sort of set you down this path of working in the art, so to speak? So when I was a kid, I wrote about it in my book. We'll get to all, to all that stuff. But when I was a kid, I would be sentenced to my bedroom and I would spend a lot of time. All I had in my room was a little clock radio. So I would sit there and listen to the radio, all kinds of different radio stations all day, every day. And I'd try to imitate them, you know, when I was a kid. And I just, I kept doing it for so long. I, I, it really just became a part of the way that I talk. And I had no idea I sound the way I sound. Um until I went on a podcast called the Citizen Able Podcast. And I did that in 2018. 
for the first time. And I had never heard myself with headphones on before. And, uh, and he introduced me to the show and I was like, well, I'm very happy to be here today. <laughs> and I had never heard that before. And I was like, wow. So now I'm like, what do I sound like while I'm talking into this microphone? Oh, I'm supposed to be taking this podcast seriously, but I've never heard myself. And I, I just had a really good time messing with him and just talking so much junk. So they're the, they're the funnest times. The um, so we didn't really we didn't really mesh really good, probably because I farted around on his first podcast. But he um he wanted to like he was looking for more attention in ways that I didn't want attention. So he would do things more extreme. Like after I left, he got a a, a six foot six tranny trans. But I don't know how this person identifies, but it was like a very large dude dressed up like a woman that liked to do um, like spanking and stuff to men. Like okay. I don't know what that person identifies as, but he went that direction and I'm like, okay, see you later. And, yeah, okay. Uh, That's, uh, wow. Okay. A video game called Fallout 76 came out. Loved Fallout. I played all of Fallout. Love that franchise. Yes, sir. Me as well. My homie. My brother, Mitch. So, uh, I was talking with my daughter, and we are in the den, and I was playing Fallout 76. And I said, I wonder if they had a radio station in their vault where they were. And it was Vault 76. Yeah, And I said, so what would the name of the radio station in the vault be? 76.1 The Vault. You're with your good friend, your great friend, your best friend in the wasteland. And so it was created. And I started doing 76.1 The Vault, your best friend in the wasteland. And I just started that podcast. At first, I put together... A, uh, a lot of, I can actually play some for you if you want. I put together a lot of these fictitious commercials that went with items that you found in the game, like Dandy Boy Apples or uh, Instamash or um, Toy Rocket. Yeah, right? we can we can play some if you want. That's fine. Yeah. Do it now or I can insert it later. Whatever's easy for you. I've got nothing but, nothing but uh, good memories of that franchise. I remember the thing that I, I first bought Fallout 4, then went back to 3 to 2 to 1, then 76. And I'm a big fan of like those open world exploring, you know, one decision you make will affect later on. And, you know, the, the first time I went through Fallout 4 was uh, the nuclear finish. And uh, just you're taking me back to some great memories. And I enjoyed seeing Are you familiar this. with Red Rocket, my friend? Mm. Remember Red Rocket? Yeah, Ugh. vaguely. It's a fair while ago now. And, you know, I have ADHD, so I forget things as soon as I learn them. So <laughs> can be can be a little bit annoying at times. All right. So I made a commercial for, um, for Red Rocket, which is the... Um, Red Rocket is the uh, convenient store locations you come across in the wasteland of Fallout and Fallout 76. So I'm going to play you a commercial for those Red Rockets convenience centers. Red Rocket! Hey gang, do you need to fill up on the road? Red, Red Rocket! Rocket! 
fusion recharges in only 15 seconds or less, guaranteed. And while you're filling up the car, fill up your own tank. Daily specials on Fancy Lad Snack Cakes, Dandy Boy Apples, and don't forget everyone's favorite, Nuka Cola. Come into Red Rocket. Red Rocket. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. So how did so you started doing all these ads and all this content? Um, whatever happened, like what what happened after that? Like was it just a fan thing and a few people enjoyed, or what came of all this work that you did in that space? Well, I actually developed a, a following. Um, yeah. I, on on uh, Facebook, we got up to somewhere like twelve hundred or thirteen hundred people on Facebook. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. You said you you got the ADD, <laughs> right? Yeah. I've got the uh, I've, so like I I thought I squeezed all the juice out of the seventy six point one, um, out of the out of the far universe. Yeah. So I started doing this thing where I wanted to get out there and use that DJ voice and have a good time and pretend I was a DJ. So yeah. what I started doing was getting indie artists that make really good music to send me their stuff and i started making a podcast where i would have so many different musical artists on there and then i would put funny commercials um for fictitious products in between the um in between the songs so so you you're hearing a song and then you're hearing something funny you're hearing a song you never heard before so you kind of it's kind of like making a your own little radio station in the form of a podcast, sort of in the form of a radio exactly. station. That's cool. Exactly. And, and um, um, I will, I will, if anyone is interested in listening to that, I'll post a link to all of Mitch's socials and the podcasts uh, in the bio as well. But yeah, that's cool. Like in, ideas like that are exactly the reason I like speaking to people like yourself. So you did your podcast for some time and uh, do that. Was that eventually opening more doors for you in regards to some voice work or how did you sort of, what what happened next? I'm curious. Well, when I was doing the Fallout stuff, I was approached by a, uh, a guy named Kenny Vigue, and he runs the uh, Chad A Fallout Story podcast. And I did some voice work over there, and he also needed like uh, like a radio DJ in the background of people talking in the show. So I got to do that and uh, and read the script in the DJ voice about the uh, the killer on the loose over by Camp Wallaluska or whatever it was. There was some camp over there. It was um kind of a rip off of the Friday Thirteenth, you know, the camp stuff. But um, I was the radio guy that was kind. of <laughs> melodramatic radio guy talking about the horrible the killer in the woods you know talking about that stuff and i had a really good time with that and um you know i've, I've done networking on on facebook and i've done some voiceover work for a few productions but i mean these are just youtube things that people are working on or they're um they're working on some project they just had you know so so you're just recording things with people and and sending them out there. Sometimes I'll I'll get a link back to hey, here's this cartoon that your voice is in. But you know, most of the times it's just part of somebody's project. Um, but uh, May twenty second, twenty twenty three, this past year, I 
got to be in a movie. I was supposed to be an extra, but there were so few people that showed up. There was only two of us that were um, were the, the cult members that were going to kill a girl. So we actually both got a little FaceTime on the camera and, um, and I actually got two lines. No, no, you won't die. And that was my lines in the movie. Um, <laughs> cool. So, <laughs> so uh, that movie is called Druid. I have no idea when it's coming out, but I mean, it, it looked like a UPN level of, uh, of sophistication going on out there. So I wouldn't expect too much out of that. It still would have been a pretty cool experience, though. It was. And it let me know after doing the same doggone thing 40 times in a row that I don't want to do acting. <laughs> Fair enough. So, okay, you've done all these projects, Fallout, the movie, the podcast, and some uh, content creation on YouTube, which I'll post a link as well. Um, so fast forward to, well, not quite up to today, but sort of we'll talk about your book as well. So so the book's about dealing with PTSD. It's about 40 years of your life summed up into in the form of a, of a novel. So it's called Unraveling a Lifetime of PTSD, The Diary of a Smelly Kid. So currently on Amazon comes out today. Congratulations on the release. Um, I'm going to be ordering Thank a you. copy as well. But um, just wanted to like so this must have been an incredibly heartfelt, emotional, putting pen to pad, sort of talking about you know dealing with all these hardships. So just you know, ha- when did you decide to to write this book, and um, when did the process all start? And tell talk to us about yeah, talk to us about the book and what made you go. You know what, I'm going to tell my story. How did that all start? I woke up crying on my 51st birthday, and I don't know why, but I was not happy. Um, I almost died, like for real, almost died in 2011, Memorial Day week. What happened? I had gone on a canoe. This is in the book. I had gone on a canoe trip with a friend, and I almost died during that canoe trip. And that's all I'm going to say about it, because I want people to buy this book. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't book, bury the leaders, uh, they say. For, for every book sold, um, a portion goes to uh, the Dragonfly House in Lenore, North Carolina, which is a child advocacy center um, mm-hmm. for children to seek refuge, children that are being abused and seek refuge there. And what, and, uh, what's the relationship uh, there? Like, did you, have you always been an advocate for this specific charity or what's the, what made you decide to uh been alliance with them i met the lady that runs it and i did not know such a place existed and when i was a child i really wish a place like that would have existed for me so sounds like they do good work Um, yes sir so once i found out they existed i um i decided that i was when i got this book done i was going to share with them because they need support well i can post a link to their website and everything as well if people want to get involved and research them too and see what they're all about but good on you for trying to do your best to help out a, a, an organization as as heartfelt as as them um so with this book um obviously without giving too much away can you give like context as to what it's about so what the diaries of a smelly kid like were you referred to as a smelly kid or what what's can you tell okay. us like a little bit about it so in the 70s people didn't know about lactose intolerance and they did not know about uh, gluten intolerance um and i am severely intolerant of both lactose and gluten and when i was a kid you ate your peanut butter and 
jelly sandwich on the Wonder Bread and you drank your milk with it. That's what you did. Yeah. And I am intolerant of both the bread <laughs> and the milk that I was drinking and didn't know that. And so when I was a kid, starting at about age four to about 14, I always had the squirts. Like, always <laughs> I can, every day i can relate to to stomach troubles <laughs> but sorry go on so well people didn't know but i would like like you know you're just outside and all of a sudden you're like you know your stomach's killing you right and then you're just locking up so you don't start to go right you try to move but sometimes some comes out sometimes you just wet fart a little bit but no i've conquered all these <laughs> i've conquered all these dragons but I'm just saying, when, you, when you're a kid, you don't understand. 100%. Like, 100% you, don't, you, don't. you don't understand what's going on. You, you don't. And, and um, I was suicidal at nine years old. I'm very sorry to hear that. My, um, my school teacher, my fourth grade teacher, was busted at the school. Now, he was busted seven years after I had him, but he was extremely abusive. He was busted at the school with two kilos of cocaine and an Uzi-style gun at in his briefcase at his desk inside the school. Um, oh, and well. he had, it, it had been um, discovered that he had also falsified his teaching credentials before coming to North Carolina from Florida. So he wasn't even supposed to be a, a teacher, and they had employed him for eight years at that point. Scary thought, isn't it, that people were well, able to get away with such things? And he did He did these, he did horrible things. He did absolutely horrible things to students. Now, and later in life, I wound up having a neighbor that also had him as a teacher. And he had gotten so aggressive with my neighbor that he, when he was a kid, he ripped his shirt. He grabbed a hold of him, ripped the collar on his shirt. And when, um, when he got home from school, his mother asked him why his shirt was ripped. And he told his mother why his shirt was ripped. And she went down to that school and she tore that teacher a new ass. And um, I think that got him on a on some kind of uh surveillance or whatever because it was the next year after that when he got busted so i think they had an eye on him yeah right how bizarre yes and uh so he would do extremely extremely cruel things uh to me in in front of the class and and you know people don't understand what ptsd is but when you're young, you make associations with events, right? If if I say, if I say, Mitch, think of a car. You're going to think of the first car, or you're going to think of a car. You're going to think of a car that you have the association for the word car, right? Because I haven't yep. given you any other classification. I just said car. Yep. Same thing if I said house. You would just have an association of house. I didn't describe it. So we also have other associations that mean things that happen to us in our life. So you have an association like I have an association with a wood grain for something that I saw when I was five. I have an association with a linoleum floor pattern from something that I saw that I was, when I was five. And But it's it's so many things that you associate with smells sounds all those things so it, it could be the way your feet sound when you run down a hardwood floor it could be the way a door can sound when it closes and you hear the lack click right after the uh, the door pulls too there's so many associations that we develop and then as these things happen in life it's like a little reminder every time these things happen and so 
these are the things that are happening to people with PTSD that nobody else really understands. And it can be like, you, you might say it's a triggering thing. It's like, a I just call them micro associations. These are just things that keep happening. People don't understand. Like you hear post-traumatic stress, but you don't understand what it is. You just think that person freaks out, right? Because that's what people with post-traumatic stress do. They freak out. Yeah, I guess Well, you think of PTSD, you think of maybe like a, an army veteran or a a retired police officer or something who has been through traumatic experiences in that regard but i guess you don't really stop to think about the average joe or jane doe just you know just think oh yeah but it does happen like especially you know in an age where the um the importance and the information available in regards to mental illness and stuff so yeah 100 percent awareness is on the rise and it's good that you you're able to stop and share your story in regards to it as well so i commend you on that but you're exactly well, thank right you very much. it's what I'm trying to do is is illustrate what it is for me in a way that other people can understand it. Yeah. And um, there's uh, there's one thing from the book. There's an analogy that I've made for post-traumatic stress that is a really, really good. Um, it's a good analogy because it helps everybody visualize what's going on. OK, so if you can imagine your your social life with other human beings is a big stove top right all these burners all over everywhere you got a you got a, a little tiny bowl over here to the size on a burner and that's your mitch and mitch little little relationship and you have your relationship with you know spouses girlfriends family members you have relationships with people that you work with and they're all in different little saucepans and pots and all over this thing because and you have to pay attention to them right you have to pay attention to your relationships right and so you're stirring these pots and you're you know, you're, you're interacting with these relationships, but also on this stovetop, you've got this big ass pot that is boiling over with this toxic crap that happened to you that you are still carrying with you if you suffer from post-traumatic stress. And what happens is that big pot will sit there and splash and just bubble and then splash right into these other pots that you're trying to keep going and keep cooking that post-traumatic stress will just splash into every relationship buddy and you can't help it all you can do is try to put positive energy around you you can be the nicest person you can be because you have been through the worst shit ever and when you do that you're not reacting to what you've been reacting to for so long anymore because that's what happens with post-traumatic stress. To the person that's suffering, it hasn't stopped happening yet. You still have so many associations with this horrible thing that happened or a series of horrible things that happened or 12 years of living with someone that was an absolute hell of a person to live with. But I meet a Mitch. I meet a new person in my life. I don't have to carry that with me anymore. They don't have to know a thing about that. They don't have to know that I was called stinky by every kid that I went to school with. They don't have to know that I was yelled at across fields. I can smell you all the way over here in front of 200 people and people laugh. I don't have to share that. You know, nobody has to know that happened. I can be the nicest person. Make sure you're having the nicest day. And I know that energy will come back to me because I know the alternative, the glare. Fuck you looking at that guy. I know what that guy gets. 
he gets the same thing that he was given and that's not going to work. So I try to be the nicest person that I can be, buddy. I am. I am the nicest man you will ever meet in your life. And I know even if I get a portion of that back, that's what I want. That's what I want in my life. I can relate to that 110% on many levels. I am. Um... I, I like that metaphor. It's interesting to think about it. I um I, I use a I use the metaphor. Um someone painted in my head years ago. It's like um the people are like iceberg, you know. You can only see five percent of their makeup, like you only see on their facial expressions how their day's going. You don't know what's happening underneath the surface, whether they've buried someone, had a fight with a spouse, uh you know, just won the lottery, you wouldn't know unless they tell you. So you can only go based on what you see. And I'm in a similar like boat. I I played with voices as a kid, like "Hi, hey, Kermit the Frog here," like "Ruby Doo." Like I learnt heaps as I was growing up, and um, I also had stomach troubles. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at 18 years old. In Australia, you can like in America, the drink age 21. Here, it's 18, so you can go out. Now, I was going to nightclubs, and my friends are saying, "Why are you having a shit in a nightclub?" Before I was diagnosed, I'd have stomach pains having drinks with my friends. Going, this isn't normal. So you get, you know, oh, he shits himself in nightclubs or, you know, oh, going again. Have you got your toilet paper to pay entry fee? All that sort of stuff. So you can relate to that insecure, being picked on, stomach trouble, smelly kid as you as you word it. Um, and Oh, yeah. yeah. To, to, Were to, you punished to, at home for it? A little bit, yeah. And sort of correlate, yeah, was... it correlates back to, um, sorry to cut you off, because what, what you said, being kind unto others. Um, yeah. Treating people like icebergs. So I see that. So I don't want to make anyone's journey more difficult than it has to be. And you might agree with me in, in, in saying this, is that your kindness sometimes has haters. So like, you know, you might be kind to people. So I've worked with people in the past. Do you show them nothing but kindness? Yet they'll, pardon me, they'll still be a dick to you. And it's like, well, that's cool. And only later in life I've learned, I'd be so insecure and think, oh, what have I done? I've always been a people pleaser. But you learn, oh yeah, well, you know, maybe that's a reflection of their own insecurities. As long as I do my thing, walk my walk, talk my talk, etc. That good karma is going to come back. So I'm going to shine my shine. If they hate on me, that's on them. Um, so I'm I'm tarred with a very similar brush, I think, in that regard. So thanks for sharing that story. It's resonating with me. And I'm sorry I cut you off too. Well, don't, don't worry about that. If if okay, so let's say you're nice to somebody, and then they're they're still a douche, right? They're not being a douche because of anything I did, right? So if they if they want to be unkind, if they want to hate, if they want to mock you for being nice to them, what, let them do it, buddy. You know, maybe it's going to make them feel better. They're trying to put the negative energy around them, and that's what they're going to get. Yeah, I just I, I just think of a insecure schoolyard bully, and it was a uh, so I worked in the mines now for about nine years, eight or nine years now, and um, the stereotype of a mine worker is rough um you know earns a lot of money thinks they're king crap arrogant all that stuff and i was a new starter at this pit i've never mentioned where i work because I, I i think it's bad taste but the first pit I ever worked in i was getting picked on a bit and um this guy was just every time you get a chance on a two-way radio you know mitch respot because I, I drove those big haul trucks and like, even though i'd be in the right position for him to load the dirt in the back of it he'd just be a tool and try to belittle me and make me look like a you know, a rookie, an amateur. And one day, lunchtime, I just walked up to him and said, have I done something to to offend you? He's like, no, what do you mean? I was just, I said, well, I said A, B, C, D. I said, every time you do that, you make my make me doubt myself. And I thought I was doing fine. He goes, well, you are. I'm like, well, why do you make a song and dance about it? And he said, I didn't realize I was upsetting you that much. I'm like, well, it is, mate. Like, I, I'm new to the industry. I'm trying my guts out. And, you know, you make me go home and you make me 
take work home with me and I don't like it. And as soon as we had that conversation, seven years later, I'm still his friend. Like we're friends to this day and he didn't realize, but he sort of, by just approaching him and challenging him on it, turns out it was one of the greatest things I could have done. Exactly. You told him how you felt. This is how I feel in this situation. Oh, I didn't realize I did that. I'm sorry. I won't do that anymore. And they lived happily ever after. How about that? Yeah, and most people will be receptive and the ones that aren't, you don't need that toxic person in your life. Just if you work with them, do what you have to do to get by through the day and then go home. That's all you have to do. Um, so yeah, I kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. I, I love that metaphor, that analogy, whatever however you describe it. Um it's interesting, hey, like having a, a Mitch to Mitch, a heart to heart, however you want to call it. It's um it's quite refreshing. This is this is really good uh, therapy in it in its own in its own little sense. Um so you okay, so you, you you've you've written the book. How long did it take you to sort of put pen to pad, get it edited? And finally published and released. Was it a long process? About eight months. That's pretty quick. <laughs> well done. It, these are these are stories that mainly in this book are just stories, and and there's things that <clears throat> it's really about the associations that we make that we don't realize that we make. Um, that's <clears throat> I'm sorry. That's the thing that that I realized in this in writing this that you have. Well, when I say you, I mean, I mean, I um, have made so many associations with an event that you need to learn you're still reacting to something that happened a long time ago. And that's right. Yeah. It sounds sounds like you've, um, you've absolutely opened up and yeah, like it, it's definitely relatable to me. And I reckon a lot of people will be able to relate to these stories. I think there's a lot of people that have post-traumatic stress that don't realize it. I didn't know I had it. I hadn't ever gone to war and shot at people and been shot at. I don't know what that's like. I know what it's like to be afraid to go at home after school. And I know what it's like to be afraid to go to school. Um, so I, I remember those days. And um, so when I almost died on that canoe trip that you can read about in this book, I, I kind of made a silent prayer when I thought I was going to die. And I said, if I live through this, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to get ill because for a long time I was proving to the world how absolutely badass I was and you could see it on my face. And I was a person that you saw and said, I'm not fucking with him. And it's real easy to be that person, but it's, it's not so easy to be a person that people look at and they go, Hey, that's a nice guy. Right. And I'd rather be the nice guy instead of the guy that you're afraid of. Right. percent. So that's, um, I went and, and I started seeing a therapist, a psychiatrist, and uh, this is in the book, but something happened at work and it made me feel, it's not that there was a tra tra traumatic event of abuse, because there was, there was a bunch of them, but it the way that I felt while I had to stand there and take the abuse. And I wasn't able to defend myself from this and the way that made me feel. I had another event later in life that made me, I, it was like, you think about it for so long. And then you remember something that you had compartmentalized. And when you do that, it's like if your back was out of place for the longest time and all of a sudden it, it it hurts like hell when the back pops back into place, but you feel so much better. And it was something that happened to me 
and it had been in the back of my mind at that point for about 35 years and it all came back forward like it just happened and I cried and I retched and I I released it I dealt with the trauma of that one event and not long after I went and confronted the person that did these things to me. And I looked in his eye and I asked him, do you remember doing that to a 12 year old boy? And at that time, I think I was 48 and I'm questioning an 80 year old man about shit that he did a long time ago. And I got to see a little remorse in his eye. And that made the biggest difference in my life. It changed the way I talk. It had such an effect on me. And I I made good on my promise when I was under that water on that canoe trip, trying not to die. Well, that's good. Um, yeah. And what I take from this is um you know I, I i'm the same um it's important to speak about these things it's important to share your story it's important to you know if you're going through something don't suffer in silence um men traditionally don't speak out about things like traumatic stress or anxiety or depression or whatever it might be you know so if you're a man or a woman or person of different sexual orientation or identify as something different buy this book, read it. And then if you're anything like me, you know, I'm going through stuff. So I'm talking to a, a, a psychologist at the moment. And uh, as, as recent as a month ago, got diagnosed with ADHD because I spoke up. And now that, you know, you, you understand what you're up against. It's so gratifying to know, you know, it, so I, I would, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I consider myself fairly intelligent yet i struggle to put on something as simple as a life jacket a life jacket to get into a boat you know and now i know why it's because of this adhd stuff that i, I would struggle with things like that and when you know what you're up against and you learn how to deal with things like trauma or whatever else it all happens by speaking up so if you're out there suffering please don't suffer in silence you know there are many services out there worldwide you can get help so i commend you for raising such a big issue especially amongst men you know because society dictates that men are tough etc etc all those negative stereotypes oh yeah and um like always brings a tear to my eye because you know i've lost friends that were too proud to talk about their issues one as recently as four months ago his name is andy and um he, he took his own life because of reasons which i won't disclose it's not my business to but he felt that he had no other choice and um you know you said yourself you were suicidal when you were a kid when you were about nine or ten and for for anyone to have those thoughts my heart goes out to them and um i know i'm supposed to be interviewing you but i'm sorry but this this is a close thing to my heart if you're it's out good there to talk about it it is, it is. And even if this reaches the ears of one person or a hundred or a thousand, who, who knows, please speak up. It could just be as simple as picking up the phone and ringing a loved one saying, hey, I'm I'm actually in trouble here. Don't be too proud. There is someone out there that wants to help you. People would rather have you around than your memories, you know, memories of you. And um, Andy was only 35. So that's a young man. That's a young man. And life is tough. There is no, there is no textbook on how to live life we do the best we can with what we have that the human spirit is to endure like that's that's the older i get the more i realize that is true so please if you're out there buy content that'll help you and get the help you need like this book will help you it's like i uh yeah. i did put in the book about there, there there's i go through a part where i'm talking about um i had a friend that committed suicide when I was 18. He did it on the night of my 18th birthday. And um, it was my girlfriend's brother, but I, she didn't live 
in North Carolina the year before. So I hadn't, I hadn't never met her before, but on my 17th birthday, one year before I had hung out with him in this little camping place across, it was like a little, he had like a, a campfire place set up in the woods across the street from his grandparents' house when he lived, where he lived. And the year before on my 17th birthday, we sat out there and we drank beer and we smoked cigarettes and we thought we were grown up. And then one year later, he killed himself in that exact same spot across the street from his parents' house, grandparents' house. That's, um, it breaks my heart hearing that. It really does. Like, genuinely, I, I hate to see people go too young. Wasted opportunity because they feel they have no other choice. That's, yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, it was really sad. Mm. And thanks for not only sharing your story, but being receptive to mine in regards to heartbreak and trauma and whatever else, because it's, it's important for people to have these conversations. And um, if you're still listening at this point, thank you. Um, <laughs> I mean, you could say, do whatever people can react in whatever way they want, but you know, this is raw, emotive, genuine conversation that I think needs to happen more and more and more. I mean, if you're out there listening, if you want to Mitch's friends, or if you want to the people who like to, you know, listen to my episodes regularly or whoever you might be, talk to people around you, even ask them, Hey, how are you? I noticed you've been quiet lately. Is everything okay? Connect the web of positivity, make the world a better place. And um, if we did that, the world would be a little bit brighter every day. So we'll, um, we'll wrap, start to wrap things up there shortly. But if people wanted to see your work, hear your podcast or buy your book, where can they find you? Please, Mitch. Well, for all the social media you could ever want, just check out 76.1 The Vault, like the bank vault, 76.1 The Vault. Look on YouTube and Facebook and all those other social media places. I don't do Twitter. I don't do Twitter. I don't do X. I don't do porn. I don't smoke cigarettes and I don't drink. Um, In that order? The book is called... <laughs> Not anymore. The book is called Unraveling a Lifetime of PTSD, The Diary of the Smelly Kid. And you can find that wherever Amazon sells things. You can find it on Amazon. Yep. And I'll um I'll post the link to that in the bio as well as your socials and uh everywhere like in the in the podcast link as well. So um before we close out, Mitch, is there anything that you'd like to to close on or anything that, that's on your mind that you'd like to say? I really appreciate that we finally got to do this. I welcome you into my ring of the fellowhood of Mitches that I have around me. Mitch Kelly now, an honorary member. There's two of us now. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, again, just thank you so much for uh, having me on your podcast, on your show, and letting me share just a little bit of myself with everyone on your end. So thank you. Happy to do it. And as always, everyone, thank you for listening. And I'll promise there won't be as long time between episodes this time around. And uh, I'll see you all in the next one. Bye for now.